Hello, and welcome to DevCast Culture, our Black History Month edition. I'm Sherry Elliott, your host, and today we're going to have a long talk about the uncomfortable truth. And we have with us today the founders, Kamal Carter and Cal R. Williams. Welcome. Thank you, Sherry. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about the uncomfortable truth and why you wanted to lead a campaign nationwide to have a long conversation about the uncomfortable truth. And you can go ahead, Kyle. Okay. Well, this was born out of necessity. Um, You know, when George Floyd was murdered back in 2020, the the country was at a place where there was so much anger, so much emotion. People were confused, you know, and people didn't know how to talk about it. And for me, this became very personal when my coaches, when my son's coaches got involved. I had to have this conversation with my son's coaches. And so I realized at that time that we needed to figure out a framework for being able to have a better conversation about race and the history of racism in America. And Kamal, why did you think this was important and why did you want to come together with Kyle in order to have this long talk about this uncomfortable truth? It's important to me because I want a better country for my daughters. I mean, when you look at it, we have had very little progress since the civil rights movement. And we've had this stuff that feels like progress, but it really isn't. Because I remember being brought up and my mother telling me, change takes generations. Because she learned that from my grandmother, from her mother. It takes a long time to change. And I just don't believe that. I believe if we get enough people who are engaged in this conversation and taking action, we can change this and make measurable results in less than five years, less than 10 years, less than 15 years. But we need a critical mass. And so I was fed up. I mean, I haven't watched George Floyd being murdered. I turn away when it comes on TV or it's on my phone. I close the app. I just look away. But I know the outcome. And I know that if we do not get activated now and have an uncomfortable conversation, we're never going to change. We still have people at work who whisper, black people or white people. Like someone's going to jump out the break room and if you say the word black or white. We do not have these conversations. It's okay to say black. It's okay to say white. Let's have this conversation and let's educate to end hate. I mean, I definitely agree with what you're saying, but some would actually say, you know, we've been having these conversations for hundreds of years. And so what is going to be different? Like what's going to be the number one thing that you feel is going to be different in you guys having these conversations, talking about this very uncomfortable truth at this point in time? The interesting thing is we haven't really been having this conversation, right? Because we haven't been having a conversation about the truth. We've been having conversations about a narrative that didn't exist. And by not being able to deal with the truth, you can't solve a problem unless you identify and and analyze it honestly. You have to assess it. And so the difference now is that people, whether it's because of the internet, whether it's because at this point in time, Ignorance is a choice. It's the age of information. So that's the first thing is that we have this information to have a conversation. Secondly, no one's ever been taught to be anti-racist. At best, you were taught to be non-racist. At best, you were taught to be colorblind, which doesn't solve any problems. And so we actually think we've been dealing with the issue, but we never actually have. And that's the difference in what we're doing and the difference in what this timing is that we're no longer holding our tongue in terms of the truth. And you have the information to back it up. And so by sharing information, like Kamal said, to educate to end hate, it gives people a choice that they didn't know something in the past, something wasn't taught. Our educational system has intentionally miseducated our whole country about what really happened in this country around race and racism so that we get into arguments that are really fluffy and really superficial because nobody understands the true depth of it. Yeah. 
And Kyle, I just want to add to that too. It's interesting because we've been taught how to have this conversation politely, right? And how to exist and act like there has been progress where there really hasn't, where white and black people have not worked together to end racism. And we know, and it's an uncomfortable truth, but it's not mentioned, but black people cannot end racism. It wasn't created by us, but working together and collaborating with individuals who are non-black to say, hey, look, this is our shared history. Let's educate to end hate. But then I need you to take action. Because to some extent, there have been conversations. They haven't been detailed. Like Kyle said, they've been really fluffy. But the, the biggest piece is when we talk about, let's name white supremacy. Let's name systemic oppression in all industries. And then let's dismantle it. But it does take activation from millions and millions and millions of white people. And there's no way around that. Absolutely. And when you're saying let's name racism and let's name systemic injustice, I mean, but in addition to naming it, what kind of characteristics do people need to look for? Or are there characteristics tied to it? I mean, okay, we name it, but then what? I mean, what's the next step? I think, first of all, we teach the concept and a perspective. All we're doing is employing a conversation that gives people a deeper perspective or a wider perspective. And so when we talk about white supremacy, we don't talk about it as the shark. We talk about it as the water. And so it's not like, oh, look, there's white supremacy. Oh, no, we're brought up in a culture. This country started 100% male white supremacy. It started at 100%. Everything was based of wealthy white men having access to things that no one else could have. So we have to figure out as we move from that, whatever progress you want to call from that, I believe at this point we have the right to challenge and question anything. The status quo in America needs to be looked at. And again, with questioning to see what elements of this are in here. How has racism affected this institution? Not whether or not it's racist or not. We don't need to say America is racist or not. We need to understand how it impacts and how it affects every part of America. Yeah. And Kyle, I will add too, though, the challenging piece is for people to use their white privilege and their platform to dismantle it. So if I'm a CEO of a hospital or if I'm an admissions officer at a medical school, I need to make sure that I look at BIPOC applicants and make sure that our medical school class reflects percentages in the United States. The same thing if I have a platform or a position in corporate America, I need to make sure that our hiring practices are just. I need to make sure there's policies that are in place so that our communities aren't being discriminated against anymore, or if we're making a one step closer to making it better. So, so you're right, we name it, but then our thing is action. Anyone who goes through and participates in the long talk, we challenge our 3,000, almost 800 community members nationwide and international to do something, learn something, do something, learn something and take action, learn something, take action. A year later, you're still showing up, engaging with us. What action are you taking? No matter how big or small, there's an area where you can affect this and help in the dismantling of it. Absolutely. Even to the point of, you know, a lot of times people say, and I've heard this, whites will say, well, you know, that's not my theory. You know what I'm saying? But I feel personally, if you don't take an action, then you're complicit. And then that comes into, I think, one of the baselines in addition to the foundation as to why it's difficult to make those changes. I know that when people sign up with you guys for training or whatever, that a lot of times there is a prerequisite for people to watch History of Race in America. And why do you guys feel that's very important before you even sit down to speak with them? Well, what we found is, you know, this was born from an authentic conversation. We didn't sit in a room and plan for how to put together a long talk. It started by me sharing that video with a white man who was in neutral, who cared about my son, who had empathy, but did not have the information to be able to cause him to do something. 
And when I shared that video with him, he literally became an active anti-racist immediately. And I know that not because he posted something on Twitter or that he put a sign in his yard, even read a book or watched a movie. He just started doing things, like immediately started making the school safe for my son. He was my son's coach. And so for me, it was like, it was part of the formula. We believe is information plus empathy equals action. When I was sent that video, I've been having this conversation mainly with black people, but you know, just with anybody my whole life. My uncle gave me books when I was 10, 11, 12 years old. And so I understood history from a different perspective, a different narrative for a long time. But it was only until now, when I saw this video, I literally had a conversation with him and we were stuck. I could tell he didn't know what I was talking about. I didn't really know how to explain everything that I was feeling. And then the next day, a friend of mine sent me the link to that video. And when I watched it, I watched 80 minutes of all the dots get connected. It was incredible. And I had never seen anything like it before. And I said, you know what, coach, if you want to keep talking to me about race, take a look at this video and tell me what you think. And he literally watched that video and became an active anti-racist because the information now matched his empathy and he knew the things he could do because he now knew what to fix and dismantle. We're not here to convince people that racism is real. The audience, the population we're talking to, we're not looking to activate people who want to hold on to their racism, want to hold on to the old ways. We're looking for people that want to come together, that maybe were neutral in this, didn't understand it, didn't feel comfortable, that want to get motivated and empowered to do something. And for the most part, what we have found is that 3,600 people later, that video is undeniable. It's unquestionable if you want to understand what has happened and if that's the piece you need to get activated to go do something. We give you that right from the beginning. I don't even want you to show up if that didn't motivate you to want to learn more. All right. Kamal, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Oh, no, not at all. Okay. So it's been 18 months, which is fantastic. You guys have touched almost 4,000 folks in that time frame and possibly more. Those are the ones that you're aware of. Things are out there. Other people share things in. You might not be privy to it, just how many folks you actually are reaching. But what's the thing that you want to ensure that you convey when you sit down with companies and organizations as opposed to the individual members, just from a more wider perspective, looking at from the companies we talked about earlier, I think Kamal mentioned that you need to make sure that we have equal pay and equal opportunities in the workforce. What are the things that you tell companies that they can do in addition to having the conversation as some potential steps? One of the things, and Kyle, I'll jump out on this one just for a second, is that the companies that we work with, they are subject matter experts in their fields. And so you have data, you've done the research on microaggressions, hiring practices. You have all the information that you need to start making a decision. And if you don't, you can hire consultants to come in and do stuff. A lot of it's common sense. Let's disrupt the racist joke around the water cooler or in the boardroom. I need an ally. I need someone to step up. And when I'm on a conference call or I'm with a sales call and the client, someone says something racist, don't come back to me and say, oh my God, that was so bad. And that person's just ignorant. No, I need you to step up for me in front of them and call them out and say something. Or that we don't have that kind of conversation here. So there's small actions you can do where you can interrupt racism daily. And we teach people a skill set on how not to argue but let's state our point and let's use this method to interrupt racism so we're not arguing, right? But so that's on a micro level. On a macro level, we challenge companies, if your expertise is in technology or in banking, what can you do on a major level to have a huge impact to look at these disparities in the Black community and fix it? 
Is it a policy change? Is it a funding of a program? If it's investing resources from the talent that you have that work at your company, an hour a month, like what can we do and what can you do in your field or something that you're interested in that is bridging the digital divide? There's a local high school that's around you or some, you don't have to go very far to see the effects. And it doesn't take rocket science. And that's the trick. We feel like it has to be this elaborate master scheme. I have to do this one fell swoop, wave the wand, and it's going to change. No. That reading program or getting everyone iPads or MacBooks or Chromes or getting that school that doesn't have access, that's a change right there. We're interrupting something where maybe the fundings are off because of zip codes or tax dollars not being diverted. And this school is, is, is struggling with staff and tech. And that's just one example. But we challenge them to not overthink it. Use your intellectual capital, assess the needs that are around, and then do something. It doesn't have to be perfect. Progress over perfection. Absolutely. Did you look at my signature and see that that was part of my signature? <laughs> no, we didn't like that. That's all. Totally didn't see that. <laughs> uh, Kyle, did you have something that you wanted to add to that? I just think the message that we convey to companies, organizations is the same in the sense that we have to do something. There's small things you can do or large things. Like, come on. So, you know, people talk about how Nelson Mandela ended apartheid, right? And how he fought in the ANC and they fought against apartheid. We watched that in our lifetime. But Nelson Mandela gave 27 years in prison for that. And then a whole lifetime before that. And people say that his struggle led to it being handed over. That's not what happened. People started, white people started divesting money from South Africa. They started to cost them something to do these practices. And Nelson Mandela was freed and he became the president. But he struggled for 27 years in prison when people could have divested from South Africa 27 years before that. So you have to understand that while there are things that people will do and, you know, courageous heroes fight for, there are things that we can do in the regular workings of the system to decide which way we want to go as a society, to decide the things that are important to us. And we just push people to the bare bottom truth of, you know, we were talking to a major bank on Wall Street and they asked, you know, well, what do you want us to do? And Kamal said, end racism. He just said straight up, end racism. Like, I don't know what you can do. I know that you understand how it works from a perspective that we don't get to see. So figure it out and figure out how you can channel and move things and change the system to benefit those people that want to end it with us instead of benefiting these other people that don't want to see it end at all. That's the choice that needs to be made at the higher level. Absolutely. And, you know, there's a lot of different steps that I guess organizations and companies can take also, in addition to just the small things, right? They can put other things in place more from uh, just choosing. I know for Deb, some of the things that they do is they make sure that they do targeting toward all minorities, I would say. They make sure that in terms of opportunity for growth, in terms of, you know, all of those types of things, those are the things that we're always seeking to make sure that we have coverage on. And if we can each, like you said, take a little step to work towards that, then it's a greater cause to meet than we will get rid of racism altogether, like you said. Can I add something to that? Because you said something that made me think of something. A lot of the time we've been looking to fix this issue by helping to fix black people. Like we're going to put a new program or we're going to make sure we give black people a little bit more extra money or we're going to find a program that supports black people. We have to fix white people. We have to understand that this is an issue that they've never been challenged to address. From their childhood to their adulthood, when they were literally at learning to now when they're teaching and leading. And it's a both and. Yes, we can continue to push for programming and equity and equality, all those kind of things. But at the core of this is to change the entire perspective so those aren't one-off conversations. 
They're a part of a larger conversation that we have with the majority of the people that need to do this work. We're literally shifting a little bit of a focus. I don't think it's ever been done before when there's been programming that's designed, not just for you know checking your bias or checking this, but really resetting the clock, resetting the stage to help people get through this, to learn how to be anti-racist who may have the desire but have never had a pathway ever in their lives. And what do you say to the person that says, I'm not racist? You know, how are you qualifying that to be able to redesign that? So I would say the first thing is that we've all been impacted by racism. You can't live in America and not have an impact. I'm not saying people are racist, but my question for them were, are you an anti-racist? You can say I'm not racist, but if you're not an anti-racist, you're not necessarily changing the culture of racism in America, which means on some level you're okay with the culture in America. So and here's the other thing. There's a question that people ask that we ask in our training. It's not to say if I'm racist, it's to say how has racism affected me? So which thoughts, which ideas, which things that I've learned, where does this even come from to be able to analyze yourself? That's all we're asking people to do. We're asking people to take an honest look at themselves and at the situation and see where they fit in. Come on, did you have something I think you were about to speak? No, Kyle, yeah, he really shared that and summarized it and kind of said what I was thinking. So no, I'm, I'm good, yeah. All right, so in this time frame, you guys have, like you said, you're on a quest and it's been welcomed with open arms. But what do you guys feel like is going to be the next step in a long talk about an uncomfortable truth? I believe our next step will be to expand our messaging. We have had a heavy, heavy focus with colleges. We've worked with major universities, with several of the Ivy League schools and huge, huge storied football programs, like very, very famous colleges. And we're starting to see corporate America really engaging us at a different level. We've worked, as Kyle said, with a bank on Wall Street, with an accounting firm. Obviously, we've worked with Dev, have a great partnership in tech space, and we have some unique opportunities that are coming up in the future. But I do feel like for us, the next step is just to communicate and activate as many people as possible. Kyle said it best, there are hundreds of millions of people on the sideline that are stuck in neutral. And to be able to not only share this information, but take action. If you have 3,000, 5,000, 10,000, a million people taking action, what can't we do? We saw this last summer where NASCAR took down the Confederate flag. I mean, how crazy is it that you had a multi-billion dollar sports entity like NASCAR and how can you even fathom a Confederate flag flying outside of a race? That's like a syntax error. But yet in one summer that changed. You had racist imaging on SERP bottles and food products that have been used for years. And these images with a snap of a finger or one executive making a decision in a boardroom saying enough is enough, that image went away. We will not produce this and have this type of characterization of black people on these products. It's just dead wrong. So for us, next is just working with, Kyle says this all the time, we're like water. And we just go where people say, you know what? You're right. I don't know about anti-racism. That's a new word I didn't even hear until 2020. There's a lot to learn. Help me. Let's learn. Let's learn together. And let's end this thing. So I believe for us next is just working with the willing. Our company and our message and our programming has spread by word of mouth, people telling people about it. And I do see a resurgence in the corporate space. We definitely will never leave the institutions of higher learning, but also K through 12. There's a huge call where you see these false narratives around CRT and, and the strategies to disrupt and stop learning at the K-12, stop truth at the K-12 level. So we do have started working with school districts as well, 
with our messaging, but I do see corporate America and K through 12 school districts as something that this year and, and years beyond that's going to expand exponentially. Yes, definitely. I can see how getting them, especially, you know, starting at the grade school age, how that can definitely make a difference so that by the time you get to college, they already have the correct perspective. They've basically become anti-racist. So if anyone's interested in actually getting with you guys to have a long talk about an uncomfortable truth, how can they reach you guys? It's easy. They can either contact us through our website at alongtalk.com. Or they can contact us through our social media. We're on all platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, at a long talk 2020. So it's at a long talk 2020. And, or they can just email me, Kamal at a long talk.com. That's K-A-M-A-L at a long talk.com. Or Kyle at a long talk.com. K-Y-L-E at a long talk.com. We're easy to find. Uh, we're easy to talk to. And you know what's so interesting? Of the almost, like you said, what, 3,800 people in our community, 98% are white. So here you have a community. And so it made me think about when you were saying, well, people say, well, I'm not racist or this. We are looking to build a coalition. We don't care. It's nonpartisan. It's not about red, blue. It doesn't matter. This is the United States of America. This is the most American thing we've ever done. And for us to be able to galvanize a group of individuals that we don't care where you're from, we have people in Storm Lake, Iowa, in the hills in Georgia, in north, south, east, and west who are working together to end this. And I believe you asked about contact, and this is important, but I want to kind of hand something to Kyle and see if I know where we're at, but Kyle, I think it's important for you to share kind of a picture or an analogy, kind of something from our training and how and why our community is the way it is. I think that's important. Well, I think it's, think of it this way. You know, this country has already dealt with behavior, right? And changing the culture of behavior. Now, I'll give you an example. There used to be a time when you could smoke cigarettes on airplanes, right? You could literally spark up a whole pack of cigarettes from LA to Newark. As a society, we allowed that because we believe people, you know, have the right to do what they want in America. And so we literally accommodated for them. We made non-smoking sections of an airplane. We dealt with it. And so we thought it was just their poor choice. And that's why we allowed it. But then the science started showing us we started dying from the same things that they were dying from, suffering from the same ailments. And so the science showed us that their poor choice was affecting us, too. And so we had to do something. We had to neutralize them. So what did we do? We educated people. We told them that big tobacco lied to you. We told them that this is going to hurt you. It's going to kill you and the people around you. You should stop. Sign the Surgeon General. And for some people, that was enough. They stopped smoking cigarettes. For other people, they wanted to keep pushing through. So what did we do next? We made it cost you something more. We raised the prices. We put taxes on it. So the price of cigarettes went up. So it cost you something to, to make this poor choice. Some people still wanted to push through. And we said, okay. And we said, you know, you have the right to do this, but you got to take it outside. You can't do it around me. I'm not having that anymore because it's affecting me. And we have to be courageous enough to do the same thing with racism. We have to look at this and say, we're going to educate people. You've been lied to. This information you thought was true is not true. And you need to change your behavior based on this new information. But if you want to keep doing this, it's going to cost you something. It might cost you your job. It might cost you relationships. But it's going to cost you something to keep making this poor choice to choose to hold on to this. But if you still want to do it, that's fine, too. This is America. But you got to take it outside, outside of my boardroom, outside of my locker room, my classroom, my sorority house, my own kitchen table. We have to be courageous enough to stand up. And that's how we saved people from secondhand smoke. 
we have to be able to neutralize it and do the same thing with racism. Absolutely. I feel like that was a mouthful and I agree wholeheartedly. Education is key. Being able to make a difference from the ground up from all entities is definitely a huge portion of it. And I am so thankful that you guys came here today to share a little bit of truth with us about a long talk and an uncomfortable truth that folks just don't want to deal with, but is needed. We have the founders of that, Kamal and Kyle. So thank you again for joining us on the Black History Month edition of DevCast Culture. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thank you for having us. And I just want to leave your listeners with this. Our goal is to put an anti-racist at every dinner table. And because of companies such as Dev Technology, the leadership, and just you giving us a chance to share our message, we sincerely want to thank you for allowing us this opportunity to share. Oh, you're welcome. Absolutely. Like we said, education, and it comes in all forms. So again, thank you so much. I'm your host, Sherry Elliott, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>